Well, hello and welcome to episode 172 of The Cool Room. Uh, it's David Griffiths here with just with a quick note for you before we get underway with today's show. A great chat that Warren Wu and I have with the guys from Sunshine Coast Brewery. But we've got lots of other exciting things coming up. Uh, and so I'd like to invite you to check out our Facebook page, check out our Instagram page, uh, and see, first of all, the great specials that we've got coming up uh, with some of the breweries that we've had on the show recently. Great ways to get some tasting packs from uh, some breweries that we've had on uh, and really enjoyed our chats with, like Shore Brewing, like Other Side, Reckless and Range and Seven Mile and even Dissolver all the way from North Carolina. Uh, we've got tasting packs to accompany all of those and we've put them on special because we want to get them to you while they're nice and fresh. Uh, and we also have a great live event coming up. We've got the Hair of the Dog Breakfast returning at Beer Deluxe. Talina Menzies has been working their magic uh, in the kitchen and come up with a great menu to accompany beers from Three Ravens, from Deeds, from Dollar Bill, from our friends at Torboy and Moose. It's one of the best events that we do every year. It's one of the best events of Good Beer Week. Tickets are selling fast, so if you don't already have yours, jump onto the Good Beer Week uh, website, and uh, in there you can find out all the information you need. Come along and see us live in the flesh on a Friday morning for breakfast, uh, and we look forward to seeing you all there. Radio, let's go over to speak with my good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, and the team from Sunshine Coast. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, we, we, as, as you said, we've got um, Sunshine Coast Brewing, and we are lucky enough to have Bernadette and Peter on with us. Um, how are you going, guys? Yeah, good. good. Excellent. Thanks for having us. Excellent. I'm um, loving those clear voices. It's not like we've spent half an hour getting all of that right. <laughs> um, so the usual, the usual tradition here is when we have a couple of guests, what we really love to do is get them to introduce each other. I think it gives us a, a, an interesting window into the operation. So um, Bernadette, I thought it might be a good idea for you to start and if you'd like to introduce Peter and give us his favourite his favorite, uh, beer from your brewery, but also a favourite beer from not your brewery. Sure thing. Uh, this is Peter. Um, Peter loves our Irish Red. And our Rye ESB, I think probably two of his favourites at the moment. Um, loves a Han Super Drive. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is going to be a good episode. I can feel it already. <laughs> um, but uh, probably his um, Hefeweizens is a big fan. He did a bit of time in Germany. Nice. Um, and I think he's developed a bit of a taste for uh, some quality German beers then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Peter, would you like to um, would you like to provide your rebuttal? <laughs> um, well, Bernie and I have very different tastes. Um, like like you said, I spent a bit of time in Germany, so I like my wheat beers. Mm-hmm. Um, she Bernie likes a lot of the sours and things that she brews mostly at home. Um, but as but as far as uh, what Bernie does here, she's um, pretty much does everything um, that has to do with running the brewery, I suppose, manages this, and as well as we've got another um, uh, facility over at uh, the head, uh, Pacific Bowls Club, so we've got two places we need to manage, and so Bernie's pretty much over all that, so I, I focus myself here, but yeah, Bernie spends most of her time managing both the both places at, at the moment. Yeah. So... You mentioned the Pacific Bowls Club before you started. Tell us, it sounds like it's a new venture. Give us a bit of insight into that. What's going on there? Uh, so one of the Bowls Clubs reached out to us towards the end of last year. Um, and, yeah, they, we were really lucky that they approached us and they sort of said, look, we know you're a brewery that's been around for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they acknowledged that their demographic, their main clientele was getting a little bit older and not necessarily 
bringing in that many new faces to the club and mm -hmm. um, they wanted to change that. So they had a bit of a chat to us and we actually took over the management there November last year. Um, it's been a bit of a slow start getting getting ourselves in there and getting a feel for the place and, of course, some of the politics around but also just finding a chef uh, at the mm. moment, pretty impossible. Um, but as I mentioned before, we had a new chef that started this week. Mm -hmm. um, so now it's getting the function room up and going, putting on meals, running the barefoot bowls, things like that. Um, and so we've got a selection of our beers on tap, but we've also got some of the uh, the old mainstream favourites to keep the regulars happy. Mm -hmm. um, but no, it's been really satisfying seeing a few of the 4X Gold fans that refuse to drink anything else shift over onto, say, the summer ale or have a crack at one of ours. It's uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a funny and an entertaining night in that regard because we've got some people in the Zoom room, our good friend Jane and others who are uh, in charge of helping to run bowls clubs. My hospo oh, start uh, began in the Flemington Kensington Bowls Club when there was no one left to pour beer uh, in the club except for the old men, and so I went. That's how I got my start, and um, we might swap a few bowls club notes along the way. We, we have some fun listeners overseas, poor old Heinrich in Norway. Uh, he struggles to understand Australian culture and Australian geography um, quite severely, which is understandable given our explanations of it. Why don't we first of all explain to Heinrich what a bowls club is and quite genuinely for our international listeners, some people yeah. have no idea what we're talking about and then maybe a bit of Sunshine Coast geography for people. Yeah, of course. So um, a bowls club is where they play lawn bowls. Um, so I'm not sure how much lawn bowls they play over there, but um, in Australia, they love it. Um, I think it's Australia, Scotland and Wales, maybe yeah. New Zealand, but taken seriously. That's about it. Yeah. Look, in terms of getting down to the nitty gritty of the game and the best explanation of that, they uh, throw a little white ball. And then they've got to roll their ball and try to get it as close. And uh, that's the sport. <laughs> um, but we have a bit of a mix. So we're getting in some of the uh, the more casual bowlers that just do barefoot bowls. So they don't necessarily take it too seriously. They're just coming along for a, for a bit of a game and a beer after work. Uh, but there's also a lot of competition bowlers that play seven days a week and rain, hail or shine, are sat there waiting to see if the game's called off or not. So it's um, it's a unique sport. Well mm. said. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, explain to us where the Sunshine Coast is. Like literally if Heinrich caught the plane to Sydney uh, and that was the one place that he knew, how is he going to get to where you guys are and what's it going to look like around the place and give us a bit of a feel? Well, if you got Sydney as a reference, um, probably a couple of hours flight north, um, so it's probably a couple hours north to Brisbane and then it's another hour and a bit uh, drive up to the Sunshine Coast, all, all north, obviously. So um, it's a very temperate climate. It's it's the reason we all live here. Um, it's got sun, it's got surf, it's got the hinterland, it's got rainforest. It's just a beautiful place to live, yeah. Yeah. And so if we were, if we were driving into the brewery tonight, give us a bit of a, a feel for... Mm. You know what it's what it's like. We are tucked away in an industrial estate, so you'd have some pretty quiet roads at the moment. Uh, everyone's knocked off work. We've got a few of the regulars out the front in the beer garden, um, but we are located in Cunder Park. So, as I said, industrial estate. So it's inland from uh, the main coast. Uh, we're about 10, 15 minutes inland from Maroochydore. Um, which is where one of the the main beaches is along there. Um, and between us and the beach is Budrum, which is where the bowls club is that we've taken over. So we're uh, slowly making our way towards the water. <laughs> it's I think we'll go we'll go into more depth about you guys and and all the adventures there. But I thought we should talk about the beer before I finish it, which is what I'm going to do with these circumstances. Um, so the first one we've got on the on the cards is the is your Pilsner. Um, so Sunshine Coast Brewery Pilsner. Uh, so 
we've 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 been tasting. I mean, pilsners. We seem to be awash with pilsners at the moment. I think most of our in a good way, yeah, in a great way. Like we're we're loving it. The, it's a style which which we really enjoy kicking off uh, our tastings with. Did you want to give us a little bit of a tasting tour of the pilsner and maybe a little insight into your brewing technique, given that Peter's. Um, had some experience in Germany. Would you describe this as a as a German style pilsner? It's it's not. Look, my, my time in Germany, I was, I was I was a younger bloke and I played rugby pretty much the whole time. So there was a lot of beer drinking. There wasn't much beer brewing. But um, look, it's a our pilsner. It's we, we try and we try and market our pilsner as somewhat of a crossover beer for our mainstream drinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, Craft beer can be pretty um, daunting for some people, especially those with the Forex and the um, Great Northerns that we have up here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not too heavily on any one way. It's quite a, it's quite balanced in in every way we, we make it. So it's it's quite, it's a it's a, I don't know, quite a simple grain bill, yep. but with right, with the right malts, with a with a subtle subtle hop, and not not too many IBUs. So. It's it's very very easy to drink, especially in the northern climates where it's nice and warm. It's an everyday drink. It's it's something it's something we try and market a lot to, to people that come in. Yeah, excellent. And I'm assuming it goes well at the bowls club, like with the with the bit of experience you've had, kind of put with your own beers lining up against um, some old favourites. Uh, does is it would it be one of the bit? Was it like a gateway beer, I suppose? And is it one of the ones that sells a fair bit? Absolutely. Um, at the bowler, yes, but also we uh, fairly recently did a, a beer festival up north in Rockhampton. Mm-hmm. Um, so even further up north, much hotter, um, and to be honest, a much smaller craft beer scene. But mm. it was a craft beer festival, so you had a few people that knew what they were talking about, but also a lot of people that were just there to to drink beer. Yeah. Um, so it was a good one that we could pretty easily get people onto when they'd sort of walk up to your selection of taps and they'd be like, look, to be honest, I have absolutely no idea about craft beer. Uh, what's the closest thing you've got to a Great Northern or something like that? Um, and it's one you could pretty safely head them in that direction. As Peter said, the Pilsner's not too in your face when it comes to either that bitterness or the hoppiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a nice, crisp, easy drinking one that you could sort of put one of those in their hand and, and put a smile on most people's face, which is good. Can I ask, what's it like up at that sort of the Rockhampton Beer Festival and so forth? I mean, does it feel like there is a growing craft beer scene up in that sort of northern bit of Queensland where perhaps, you know, for those of us down here in Melbourne, we don't perceive that there's a market for craft beer? Um, yes. Look, we've done two beer festivals up there in the space of maybe a year. Um, and look, where we are on the coast, there's something like 23 different breweries, but up in Rockhampton, there's one. Um, so not as much competition, which, um, they are open to, to, to bringing in some of the outsiders and, um, and showcasing their beer, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, look, there's definitely more people, I guess, that are into their craft beer than I expected. Um, so it does seem to be growing, but I suppose not at the rate as what you'd expect, um, say on the coast or in Brisbane, where there are quite a few more breweries that, Mm that they are able to go to and try different beer on tap. And, and and talk about the explosion of craft breweries and craft beer. Like we had Moffat Beach on a couple of episodes ago. So if you're checking out our archives, go back and, and find that episode. The explosion of breweries in your area, what do you think has sort of led to it? And you guys have been there, you know, for a really long time. What's it sort of like to see all of these other ones coming in and coming along? For me, I don't know. I think there's a lot of Southerners moving up. Um, <laughs> it's it's um and and bring and bring in a beer quality. You know, like the we the Sunshine Coast Breweries. I think it's one of the old. It's I think it's the oldest craft brew that's still operating in Queensland. Like hmm. what, what year? We, yeah, so we turned 25 this year. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's been around a couple of years. But yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've recently just moved over from WA. I was over there for eight years, um, working in in mining and, and other things. But um, the breweries and and the way they 
that what what they're doing with beer is huge over there, and I, I just it seems to be happening here on the Sunshine Coast as well. If you know what I mean, like it's just it's really taken off. It's it's been it's I don't know it's not crowded, but it's getting close. Like it's, there's, there's a lot of breweries. <laughs> Well, I think it's nice. while, while I'm spruiking our archives, you know, we very recently had Other Side Brewery on as well. So uh, go back and check them out. That's two episodes ago, I think. That's, that's all my advertising for the archives done, <laughs> I swear. Um, and I think as well, like, it's the right climate for beer. Um, it's hot, like, all <laughs> the time. So people feel like a beer. Um, and I think as soon as craft beer started becoming a bit of a thing, um, because there was demand for it here, people just started making more and then more and more breweries popped up. And I think we're a thirsty bunch here on the coast. So we <laughs> um, we kept just creating more and more. This this is going to be a bit of a, a southerner observation, but just as equally as it's hot up there, it's really cold down here, which means you just tend to drink a lot of beer. Yeah, look, I think we're probably the wrong bunch of people to ask about the right temperature for beer drinking because obviously it's every yeah. temperature. Yeah. But, um, if we need to find an excuse, let's let's say it's just hot. Love it. Yeah, sounds like a good excuse to be. Well, this is a ripper beer to be sort of kicking off with, and we, uh, as Warren said before, we we love pilsners. We start the podcast with them a lot. Um, but it's also because the Pilsner style is one of those sort of brewer's beer type of uh, of beers because you can't hide with a beer like this, can you? Like you've you've got to get these things right. Um, is this the kind of beer that you guys go to after a day in the brewery and just when you want to cleanse the palate and, and have your first knockoff? Yeah, it's it's either that or or our pale ale, which is quite a sessionable beer. Um, mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. It's it's a, a, a lager, especially a pilsner is um, it's it's very simple. It's very simple malt bill, very simple hop schedule. It's just there, there's, there's pretty much nowhere to hide. So you, you you have to pick the right malts. You have to you have to do the right thing. And and we're fortunate enough here. This um, the Sunshine Coast Brewery is being as old as it is. We've got a long history of um, this pilsner being brewed. So we've got probably 15 to 20 years of brew sheets, which we can refer to. Um, yeah, right. So we, um, Bernie and I just keep making small changes to try and make this, this beer better and better each time. So it's, um, we're, we're beneficial in that, in, in that sense. We've, we've got a lot of history to work from. So. Does, it, does the recipe now differ majorly from those early ones? Like if you went back to those ones 25 years ago, is there something you could point to that go where you'd say it's amazing how much it's changed, or is, is it just always those little tweaks? But because of the style, it's always there's a central core that you keep referring to. I look, I think probably because of the style, the same general recipe, but it's more those little tweaks here and there. And every now and again, no matter what we we're talking about, there might be a grain or a hop issue where something is no longer available or it's much more difficult to get and then there'll be some small substitutions that have happened throughout the years um but especially as this one is part of the core range that there's a lot of people that love this one and i think if you changed it too much you'd have a few cranky regulars um i think it is just those little tweaks here and there and and looking what we can do to improve the beer flavor wise and everything but also the efficiency of the brew um, keep the accountant happy as well, uh, and any any research or learning that Peter and I have done in our spare time, anywhere that we can apply that to the brews and make those little changes. Hmm. Um, that might actually be a nice place to jump off and look at one of Pete's favourite. Yeah. Uh, the so our next beer up, the Rye uh, English Special Bitter for the Rye ESB. Um, We'll give you a moment or two just to crack it and pour in your glasses. Um, yeah, go ahead. You're good. Would you like to? Um, would you like to talk about this one, Peter? While you're while you're looking at it longingly in the light. <laughs> He'd already opened it before you got to it. I'll be. Honest. I love it. Oh, that reminds me. Should we take the porter out of the fridge now, just to make sure it warms up a bit? Is it that type of beer? 
Yeah, it's yeah. much like the ESB. It's 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 closer to room temp the better it is. Yeah, and and that sort of means room temperature Melbourne rather than room temperature yeah. Rockhampton. <laughs> so not just depending where you're listening to it, we're just getting ours out of the freezer now, and it'll probably be the same. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Good so, does this beer have a as long a history as the Pilsner with with um, Sunshine Coast? Uh, I don't think it's it's not as old as the Pilsner. Mm-hmm. I don't believe. Um, and it was one that, rather than being part of the core range, it was done as a bit of a seasonal beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming into the colder months would usually make make sure that there was plenty in stock. Um, but now it's one that as soon as it starts getting warmer and stocks go down, there's always a few cranky regulars. So uh, that core range has extended a little bit out of control. Um, So this one currently has been available sort of almost all year round. Um, But it's, yeah, it doesn't have quite the age of the Pilsner, um, Mm. but it it still has been around for quite a while. For me in my glass, the colour on this looks absolutely fantastic. Can you... Maybe take us on a little tour for everyone who's got the glass in front of them, whether they're listening to the podcast or here in the Zoom room with us. What should we be seeing in the glass? What should we get on the nose? And obviously, what should we be tasting? So if you've got it in your glass there, like it's a it's a dark amber, but with the introduction of rye, you get a you get a red hue, which comes through. It's almost as red as our Irish red. Um it it, it looks really it looks really good to drink. Like it's um, it's what, I was just going to say for any of our marketing stuff, if we need to get a photo, um, this is always a great one to photograph because it looks amazing. Just the color that it has and the body it's, um, no, it's a, it's a pretty beer. Absolutely. And it's got it for Peter. Yeah. <laughs> the, the color of it just sort of gives you, says toffee before you get your nose or your mouth anywhere near it, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. It depends on the balance of how much rye you use or how much we use as to your you caramel and your toffee, but you start to get a, on a high percentage, you get a little more spice come through. So it's, I mean, ESBs as well as Irish reds can, can be a little sweet. So I think the rye really helps it out just to break it down and balance it out a bit better. So, um, yeah, you, you should be getting those aromas in there. Just, I mean, it's good on the nose. Um, it's, it's, it's medium to high bitterness, not not too much, because you just want that balance between malts and 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 hops. So, I don't know. I, th- I think I think it's 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 tasting pretty well at the moment, anyway. And mm. what hops have we got in there that we should be sort of you know aware of? Well, it's well, it's we got a, we got a, we got a bittering hop in there, which um which we keep, and then there's there's <laughs> and, um Amarillo, which which features as well as. Nelson Sav, which which in, in the late and the dry hopping, yeah, it's um, it's it sort of balances well with that with that Nelson Sav. I think it's it's not too heavily, it's not not too, not too overpowering. So, um, I don't know. What do you what do you guys think? Well, long time listeners to the show know that that's one of my favourite hops ever. I sort of love the things that Nelson Savon can do in a in a in a beer of all sorts, and um, just sort of the the depth and sort of you know really fun sort of whiny grapey characteristics that unsurprisingly you get out of a, a hop with that name um i love the complexity that it brings to a beer and this for a melbourne night you guys are sitting up there well you were originally sitting in the sunshine in the sunshine yeah. coast we've made you move into a cupboard but down here it's a beginning of autumn it's uh one of those little melbourne squalls came through off the bay and went through kensington and flemington before this is an absolutely gorgeous beer for this time of year in Melbourne, I've got to say. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Good to hear. Mr. Um, a lot of our a lot of our listeners uh, are very much in home brewing, and that's that's kind of how a lot of people find us. Uh, in terms of using rye, what what do people what should people expect if they've never used it before in a in a grain bill? And yeah, how 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 does it react with the other ingredients? Um, are there any tricks that you've got that that to, to brewing with with rye? There's not a, not a great deal of tricks. I think you just need to know what it offers. Um, it's it, used in small amounts. You know, you're going to get um, the more of that toffee, the caramel, the 
the sweetness and the more the higher percentage you use, you're going to get more of that spice come through. Um, it, it really wants a protein rest. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's we're, we're really we're really um, limited by the, our, our step mashes here at the moment. But um, it's it's I don't know. It's it's one of those things that it adds, adds a lot of body and mouthfeel to a beer as well. But yeah, it's it's not. I mean, you're seeing it more and more in beers these days. But it's not it's not something you see. You know, it's not not very common. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, also, as the price tag, I'm going to say, that's oh, nice. definitely one thing. Or well, even look, and part of that, um, as I said before, every now and again, there's a bit of a change in availability of different grain, and especially the quantity that we're getting it at. Um, the rye is one that we often have to order in specially rather than sort of just the usual orders that we do. Um, and, and how much of your ingredients do you source locally? I mean, you know, is it one of those things where there, I presume there are no real hops being grown in Queensland up in your part of the world at the moment? I'm, but educate me if I'm wrong. Uh, Look, and in terms of uh, grain and stuff? There's a farm called Hilltop Hops. Um, out towards Brisbane, but you're right. Like the climate, it just doesn't suit, unfortunately. Um, and as much as we'd love to support local and that sort of stuff, um, unfortunately, you guys grow better hops than we do. Uh, so we'll refer, we'll um, rely on you for a little bit more there. But uh, look, things like say our ginger beer that we do, we locally source the ginger. We've we're lucky to live near Budrum, where the Budrum Ginger Factory is. Um, so we're super lucky to be able to grab our produce through them. Um, and at least, you know, it's going to be quality. It's also nice and close to home. Um, but yeah, where we do, we, we do support local, but, um, sometimes it's tracking down the weird and wacky grain or yeast. That's exactly what's needed for a certain beer, which Queensland can't grow or make. I've distracted us from our home brewer question. I'm sorry, Mr. Warren. No, that was that was good. And I was interesting about the the cost of rye. Like you don't think about that when you when you see when you see a different grain on the on the can. That but yeah, there's quite often a cost involved, which is yeah, really, really good point. And um, so it's it's one grain that we only use in the rye. Um, whereas there's a lot of the other grains that we can use it one one week for the summer ale and the next week we're using it for the pale ale as well. So one order can spread across a number of brews, mm -hmm. um, whereas you've got to put in a little bit more planning if it's something that's really unique to one one style of beer. Yeah. Um, the other part of the, cult, or the whole home brewing thing is it features in a lot of our brewers' journeys as well and we thought we might just um, take a little bit of time to explore the brewing journey of both of you. Um, Bernie, where did you where did your brewing journey start? What was your first craft beer? Um, uh, can you remember tasting your first craft beer? Yeah, and how how has it kind of um, shown itself in your life? Um, so my family's actually had the brewery for the last sixteen years. Hmm. Um, so I'll say that my first craft beer was on the day that I turned eighteen, um, and not a moment before that. Um, but yeah, we were quite lucky. Uh, we always obviously had the family that was talking about beer, had good beer at home. Um, I didn't show as much of an interest in it then. Um, but then, so I'm actually an exercise physiologist. Uh, so I do rehab work with seniors and kids with disabilities. Uh, so started COVID, uh, health work got a bit quiet um so I started helping out a day or two a week at the brewery and um enjoyed it a whole lot and started doing more and more and um yeah now it's kind of taken over my life <laughs> but even say going through high school my holidays were spent in the bottling hall doing the packaging and doing the labeling and things like that so um at the time I hated it but it was pocket money. So uh, I was, yeah, I got to sort of experience it from a few different different levels at different stages. Exercise physiologist isn't in our normal uh, 
Brewer background story. Bingo! Is it Mister Warren? We have a we have a no, no, lots, lots of computer programmers. That's yeah. pretty much it, really. Isn't it? That's what, yeah. To, so bingo consists Achilles. of that job. When you mentioned your Achilles before, my um my spidey senses started going. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Well, either I probably easiest if I come to the brewery, isn't it? That oh, absolutely. Be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's the rest of the family's involvement in the brewery? Like, does is do most the most of your family still hang around? Do they get involved? Do they uh, do they annoy you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. It's a it's a good day to ask that. Um, <laughs> look, we all involved to a different degree. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got one sister who actually lives down in Melbourne now. Um, so she does she writes for Concrete Playground. Um, and does a lot of goes wow. to a lot of beer events and things like that. So you could be able every, to help with the promo of this episode. Then that's fantastic. <laughs> sure. um, every now and again, we'll need words written for something, and my brain just can't do it. So I'm like, "Oi, Libby!" And you flick off an email, and and she'll do the text to go on the website or something like that. Um, so I've got two sisters. So one does writing every now and again to help out. Um, the other one previously has done a bit of work here, um, helping with sort of marketing and, and some planning. Um, she's doing a lot of other things at the moment. Um, and then Ma and Pa, mum's um, across at the Bolo a lot of the time at the moment. So she's actually an accountant. So an accountant who doesn't drink beer. Uh, oh, so I'm going to say that's perfect. The financial backbone of this place, and the only reason it's here after 16 years, has not drunk any of the profits. Um, and then Dad is our official taste tester, and, and not an accountant. Correct, correct. Um, but yeah, so he, he helped out this morning. We did a bottling run. Um, so there's a few times when it's all hands on deck um, and jumping in, running the bar when we need an extra set of hands, and um, yeah. A whole heap of jobs that just get juggled between everyone. But um, because you guys have a fair bit of age, and as you say, yeah, b- oldest craft bre- brewery in Queensland. Uh, what? How does that play into your identity? Like you guys, uh, I've, I'll, I'll note. Um, given uh given david probably had to lug around the bottles uh <laughs> around melbourne at some point um the fact that you guys are still in glasses is a little bit different how much does your history play into the decisions you make and what you do and yeah and how you do it um so i think this is where that question you asked about family and yeah involvement and being annoying um, we, <laughs> they're not we gonna, have, and also they're not going to listen to the podcast. We all know that. So feel no. free to unleash. Thank you. Um, so this is now turning into a therapy session. Um, <laughs> no, we, we have a few different views on that. And I think, um, look, from a practical side of things, it's, it's difficult to get into bottle shops. It's, as you saw, difficult to lug around bottles of beer, um, heavier, easy to break as I smashed a four pack by accident last week, um, they, they're harder to store. You can't stack as many. Um, and in terms of packaging, we've got these annoying little four packs that you have to make up to, to carry them, mm-hmm. um, verse boom, spit out four cans, can holder on top done. Um, so I really see the benefit in shifting to cans but our equipment is quite old. So we currently need to upgrade our glycol system to be able to get the beer cold enough to then can it. So it's, um, there's a few steps that need to happen first. Uh, but look, fingers crossed it is, um, on the horizon because, uh, after the labeler died today, (laughs) I don't think we have many options left. (laughs) Oh no, really? That- we put we put a lot of labels on by hand. So um, Peter and I have earned tonight's beers, and uh, next week's bottling run will be on hold. We we, we kind of like these stories because we're the, like David often says that mentions why we're called the Cool Room. We're called the Cool Room not only because it's it it's 
it, it basically is synonymous with hospitality venues. But it's usually the thing that breaks down most often. And we we kind of appreciate that hospitality, you have to look like you're squeaky clean at the front of the house, but quite often things like your label are breaking <laughs> will be what's what's really on your mind. And yeah, it's yeah, we, we completely appreciate where yeah, you we've, we've all been there. you've probably got the last run of bottles that have straight labels on them um (laughs) (laughs) so uh don't look at those too closely because the machine wasn't perfect before it died but um yeah like it is what it is uh but because we are the oldest brewery there's a lot of things that do start to show their age Mm -hmm. um we have peter here as mixed to fix it so every time something starts making a new or weird noise or doesn't do what it should, um, we throw him in the deep end and he does whatever he can to uh, get it working again. But there's only so much a human can do with that labeler. <laughs> it was a question I was going to ask a bit later on, but really just about the design of the label and so forth. Is that just sort of a label design that has sort of lasted the... 25 years or 16 years or? Um, I think we did the relabel. Sorry, my dog's just trying to be a part of this. Well, um, yeah, you might do. If the people listening at home, jump onto our Instagram or Facebook and you'll see my two dogs trying to be a part oh, of it. I've literally just posted that. So <laughs> we understand we're used to dog sounds in the background. And as long as you don't do what I normally do, which is run over one of them in my chair, then you're oh, on. Oh, okay, in the chair. Woo. I say usually, I did it once. I just feel really bad about it. <laughs> um, I think we did the new <laughs> Bailey. <laughs> I think we did the new logo maybe 16 years ago. Oh, sorry, 10 years ago, between the 10 and the 15-year mark, um, mm. and then got the labels done to sort of match that logo. Uh, though if you've got the sneaky seagull in front of you. Yes. Um, well, we've, got in, we've got it in a tasting pack, absolutely. Excellent. Uh, that's our newest beer that we've labelled. Uh, so we got on board uh, a semi-local artist um, and we sort of gave him the brief that we're like, look, this is named after this cool sneaky character. Um, go to town, create something awesome that's going to match up well with the beer. And, yeah, we've been super excited to have something new because it really has been the same collection of labels. And, yeah, I think they're a good nod to the age of the brewery, but especially when I know myself, so often my selection of beer is based on what catches my eye. Mm, And a lot of the time that's an interesting label. So trying to find more interesting things we can do there. Um, But, look, my dream is to do the jump to cans and new labels all in one. That makes total sense. And I've got to say it suits and this might be just my... 48-year-old aesthetic quite genuinely, but, like, for the porter and things like that, I think it looks yeah. fantastic. It just yeah. goes, yeah, mm-hmm. I, there's a real sort of solidness and I know what I'm, what, you yeah. know, exactly where it I'm is, getting on that front. But, but it is quite classic and traditional. Um, but then, yeah, I think especially when it comes to any of our newer, different sort of beers, um, I think there's a real opportunity to get pretty fun with it. And there's only so many different colours you can come up with that you can um, alternate between on that label. Right now, I have just poured a delicious-looking porter into my glass. Talk about beers that feel like they've come at the right time for the Melbourne uh, weather that we're having at the moment. Um, Really reminded by the fact we had range on a couple of weeks ago. I know I said I wasn't going to plug our archive, but go back and check out the range episode. They were saying they literally had a diary reminder on their computer to say, start brewing dark beer for Melbourne uh, at a time that it made no sense to be doing so at their brewery. Um, This beer is fantastic and it really feels like cometh the hour, cometh the beer Mm. for me. Warren's nodding but not saying anything. It's great podcast material. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> Much like our faces. It's really good. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I've read this a million times and I still can't get it to in bed. But, Bernadette, what's the difference between a porter and a stout? <laughs> um, I do not know. 
That's... Excellent. Brilliant. I'm not the only one. Yeah. Look, um, I also feel I've thought this before and been like, hey, what's the actual difference? And looked it up and have not retained any of that information. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, no, Peter? Certain no, something no, in the green yeah. bill that is more something rather than something. Yeah. Well, do you want to give us a story about, you know, the people of who were moving luggage around on English train stations didn't like stout and so made their own version of things? Yeah. Or? I was part of that because they needed something that was a bit lighter as well so they weren't getting run over by trains. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly the version the of the story that we wanted. Yeah, with. that's perfect. I love it. Peter, do you have a more scientific answer no. than that? No. No, not really. Look, without going into the history of it, I think, you know, a stout's, it's, it's, it's quite harsh, quite quite bitter. A lot of them roasted malts really come through, whereas um, we, with, with our porter in particular, we, it's it's all there. We just don't want to go over the top, you know, with these, again, with the northern climate, we want something that's, that's palatable. Um, you know, people aren't drinking stuff at room temperature up here, so it's got to be drunk cold, you know. I mean, for you guys, I don't know, what we, he's had it out for a little while. So it's probably about right, but you know, um, we 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 got to try and make the customer happy here at the moment. So, how how does that go for you? Is it is it something that a lot of your customers enjoy drinking? The the, the people of of uh, and and others like that. Are they into it? Are they? Do they? Yeah. To be honest, this was another one. Peter and I had the discussion. We're like, look we need to reduce the core range so we can do more limited release stuff, Mm -hmm. do more trial batches, bring out some new beers. And this and the rye were two that we were like, okay, let's drop them from the core range. And as soon as this, as soon as we ran out of bottles of the porter, um, one of the sparkies that shares the car park with us, like almost had a heart attack. And he was like, why would you stop bottling the porter? Um, so there is a chance that we started bottling it again and having it in like in stock all season solely for Mark, but <laughs> no more deny. But there are some, like it's one that I like when I had the mouthful before, I was like, damn, I haven't had the porter in ages. And because it's not one that if I finish at the brewery, I don't go for a porter. Um, but if it wasn't sweltering hot this evening. Uh, if it was a nice Melbourne temperature, then I'd happily sit down to something like the porter. It's, you get many actual nights or days up there where you really can sort of kick back and enjoy a bit of a session on these kinds of beers? Um, yeah, look, I don't know. It's just been stinking hot at the moment. And I think if it's a day that we've been working in the brewery, um, Everything is hot here. It's a big old tin shed. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, it's it wouldn't be my go-to after a, a day at the brewery. Um, but actually one of the beer festivals we did a, one or two of the slightly darker beers and like didn't bring them on until the evening session. Um, and when the sun went down, they were super popular. Um, so I guess even if it is hot, maybe it's the presence of a sun or a moon that changes people's opinion who knows <laughs> i i bring this up occasionally but i like to recall the fact that uh nigeria is the biggest consumer of guinness per capita of any country yeah i think maybe outside ireland i'm assuming but yeah i think even including ireland perhaps. I, think it, I think you're right i think it's including ireland although it is a slightly different recipe isn't it isn't there like 10 different guinness recipes around the world yeah, I've heard that too. Like, and there's, there, there's and there's different branded taps. Like, there's like Guinness super cold. It's not super cold, but it's like it's an extra cold one. Yeah, well, different different levels of alcohol. I think is one of the big bits as well. Yeah, so it becomes a bit more. But yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of I like first of all, I want to talk about Mark because like it warms my heart a little bit in the fact that me having a little bitch and whinge about about a brewery stopping a product line <laughs> might actually have an impact occasionally i kind of like the fact that, that that might happen do you get a lot of feedback in your in your through the 
the bar through your bar on site about the different beers and how much do you listen to much easier to listen to someone like Mark when he's our on-call Sparky if anything goes wrong and <laughs> the kettle hasn't fired up when it was meant to and we're like oh shit go get Mark so there's certain people I guess that we do want to keep happy um but look as much as we love making beer it's it's got to be part of a business plan and finding out what the consumer wants is such a big part of that. And if we know that the guys around here, the regulars are chewing through more beer than, um, than what you do if we shifted to another beer, then you keep making that beer. Um, so yeah, I guess we take on board a lot of it. If it was one person that requested something and not a single other person has, then probably not. Um, but yeah, look, he, he gives us power, literally, so we can't really like. Oh. Yeah, it's hard to say no to that that guy. Like, uh, I I appreciate that. We were we were like in the pre with in the previous session. We were talking about, you know, how how things go terribly wrong, and the people who can help you fix those terribly wrong things are valuable enough that you kind of keep on brewing. ESB just to keep them happy. I I, I appreciate that definitely. Yeah, shout um, out to me for washing the dishes down at Pepper Cafe the other morning, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you Simon's very lucky to have you washing dishes for him at Pepper Cafe. And hello, Pepper Cafe, also on Pinot Crescent. Gee, we're giving them a bit of a run. Um, I was going well, so that brings us back to a nice little segue that one of our our uh, the people who have joined us online markers has brought up i've mentioned too many marks there but so when it comes to things going wrong we've got a traditional cool room question that we ask all our all our guests we've uh, got three now actually oh three traditional cool room questions. we do yeah okay yeah i have i have made note of that i'm just ignoring them for the moment on our all right i'll cut that out. um so yeah this will be really interesting what, especially with the long history of the brewery, what's the weirdest, strangest, most explosive, most broken down thing you've ever had in a brewery? And when I say brewery, it could be brewery, bolo. Mining site. <laughs> mining site. Oh, I don't know. bring other work into it, but I don't know. Um, I think, yeah. Bernie reminded me of this earlier. Um, it's probably only about three weeks ago. We, because of where we live, we um, we're quite close to a, a drain and a, and a and a green area. I um, I was moving some kegs the other day in the, in in the cold room and nearly stood on a western brown snake. So um, had to, it was it was quite slow because it was a cold room, but still. <laughs> um, yeah, had had to I had to, oh, had to remove him from the cold room. Um, I don't, do, do we want to know the story of had? No, let's actually let's not explore that thought. Yeah, um, that's the very first snake story we've ever had. And, uh, and I, <laughs> like, I grew up with eastern brown snake, and I am genuinely still weird yeah, about all them. of them. Yeah, that's, that's the second one we've had. We had one in the bottling hall probably a couple of months before that. Which um, they're only juvenile; they're probably about that long. But yeah, for think... for the benefit of Heinrich at home, that's about a metre. And um, they're fast. Like, yeah. not when they're in a cool room, obviously, but no, they're was... buggers of things. Because being in the cold room, it was really lethargic and it was really slow, so I had it over him. So I, could, I scooped him up and got him out. But, yeah, I can imagine out in the wild, it would give me a hiding. You scooped him up? What did you scoop? No. Oh, just a bucket and a, and a broom. <laughs> Like, again, for the benefit of Heinrich from Norway, like we're talking easily sort of top 10 most venomous snakes in the world. I, I would probably bordering on top five. So the old bucket and broom was the right way to deal with it. Can I, my family and myself would not deal with the, with the brown snake in that way. Oh, I would not have. Oh, it was only because he was slow, mate. If it was, it was out, in the, out in the heat, I would have been, been running away, I tell you. <laughs> that there's um there's farms that you'll you'll wander around in in 
around the middle of Victoria, certain times of year, there's just shovels everywhere on a farm. Like everywhere you turn, you'll see a shovel. And you, there's only one possibility why that, that occurs. Well, so my memory, and I'm sure I've shared this many times now on the podcast, is that by the end of summer, the barbed wire fence at the nursery my family used to have would have all of these brown snakes hanging off each of the barbs along the, the fence, presumably as a warning to other snakes not to come in. Like There must have been a reason why they did it rather than just chucked them in a heap. So, um, you know, we all have our little weird superstitions as families, and I won't muck around with that one. Um, Jane's telling me they're protected. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely protected. Yeah, you 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 can't kill. They're all they can't. You can't were they kill. protected in 1979, Jane? Even if they were biting you, like you just had to sort of sit there and cop it. Like it's a, I don't know, no worries. I guess it's a protected snake. I shouldn't dong it on the head with my shovel. It's all right. We'll let Jane come on later on and ask that question in the audience Q and A, or we'll edit that whole bit out so that it doesn't sound like the city of Melbourne councillor has been out, you know, killing off protected species. I'd have no idea where to go from there. <laughs> I say let's just move on to the next. Well, that's that's one of the cool room questions. We've we've heard Peter's response. Bernadette, what was your sort of cool room experience? Is there something that stands out to you, either, you know, at your own venue or, you know, can I tell you one of my favourite bowls club cool room experiences when I first joined the club was a nice hot day. Many of the locals enjoying the local beverages and I had to put about 10 of them in the cool room in little chairs uh, on a Saturday afternoon when they'd been bowling without any thought of rehydrating and literally had 10 old men in a cool room having to move all the stock out, which then warmed up just so that they didn't keel over that afternoon. They're also a protected species. <laughs> um, look, similar story, I suppose. Um, at the bolo, we'd lined up a bit of a working bee day just to get in and get some stuff done while no one was around. Um, and so I actually live in Brisbane. So I don't live on the coast. So I'd come up the night before, was helping out in the kitchen, doing whatever, uh, went out for a few drinks with one of my mates, arrived at the bolo the next morning to help out in the incredibly hot sun, um, had had a bit too much to drink the night before and discovered that the cold room was the perfect place to go and lay down and have a little snooze and cover. <laughs> Uh, started feeling a bit dusty at one stage and just went and made myself at home in the cold room and felt good as gold in about five minutes. It is a it is a great thing. The, the cool room, the cold room, it, it occupies a very special place for, for people who work in hospo and they just sort of go, I'm just going to go and just check on the kegs is code mm. for, like I'm just going to go and drink a lemonade and sit in the cool room for a little while, get the sugar and the hydration back up. That's fine. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, another question that I really like because it relates to previous conversations as well. Apart from a labeler, what's a piece of kit that you're dreaming? Oh, no, a labor and a canning machine. We're going to leave those two out. What's a piece of brewing kit that you'd really love to get your hands on? Is there something you've been dreaming about? Is there something you've as we've talked about how old this place is and and unfortunately the, the equipment is as old. So we've um all the all the brewery brewing equipment is is back 20, 25 years ago. So yeah, that's something we'd love to have is a whole new brew house, which we're making steps towards. But um look, I don't know. Just every, everything needs to be new at the moment, I think, for us. <laughs> but I think the brew house would be a big thing. Um, like even down to the fact Every other brewery will have a mash tun that they just boom, open a thing on the side, hatch opens up, shovel all the grain out. Uh, currently, Peter has to lean into the mash tun and shovel out all the grain by hand. Ooh. And then if he's really lucky, climb in and get the last little bit out with a little scoop. So there's a lot of things that um, the the brew house could improve on. Uh, yeah. Look, the, the, no, brew house, 
it makes good beer and we, we try and every every day we brew we try and make it better each time with what we've got obviously new new and new and better is the way to go but we're, we, we'll keep doing what we can in the meantime but um just keep making steps towards just advancing the place to make it better more efficient does it make you enthusiastic about the potential when you think about a new brew house or does it more weigh on you as like the 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 kind of the weight of how much needs to be done or what you need to do to get to that space which one drives you more which one plays on your mind more it's a good question eventually yeah i know i got there in the end and i think it depends on sort of what day of the week you ask us um because even there's been a few times that like whether it's going through another brewery or um say uh part of the pink boot society and we did a brew out at stone and wood for the international women's day oh, yeah. and so getting to play around on their equipment and seeing all of these steps and processes that are just automated and they'll just press a button and suddenly like an hour's worth of two jobs that peter and i do is just replaced by a button can you give us an example or two of that sorry to cut across here but just sort of again for people who are sort of familiar with home brewing understand what brewing looks like in terms of a flow chart but yeah. what buttons can some people press that sort of um, so even as simple as like transferring from one vessel to the next where they'll press a button that will select which valves to open and close um and turning on pumps whereas in our case, Peter and I will run, detach the hose from wherever it was, attach it on two different valves, open those valves in the right order, then like lead the pump, start the drain, do the same thing in reverse. Um, whereas in all the other systems, it'll be all the fixed piping and everything. So uh, a couple less steps. Um, that's the thing that I always see that I'm like, wow, that would be nice. Yeah, um, that makes sense. You see stuff like that and you're like, wow, we're so far off. But then there's also times that I stop. I'm like, hang on, we're still making pretty bloody amazing beer hmm. on a, like a system that no one else is using, which I think makes it even more special that we are able to produce something like this. Um, yeah. yeah. And again, just to emphasize, I mean, genuinely, the porter is just tasting beautiful to me right now. Mm. And it's yeah. one of those styles that obviously people have made on all sorts of equipment over the years. Probably 50 years ago, people would have been amazed by the kind of kit that you're brewing on. So when you're dealing with traditional styles, you know, yeah, it's harder if you're doing bigger production runs, but in terms of the actual product that comes out, this is just magnificent. Thank you. Um, what's So you did mention that uh, you have um, come more seasonal products are part of the future have you got something in mind that's coming out soon that that or something you're really excited about doing next yeah there's, there's always been we want to do um Bernard and i both have little pilot kits at home which we do little little brews on and we bring them in and have them on a separate tap just to see how the how the customer likes them and um i've got an ipa on at the moment which is going pretty well um, and Bernard's had a raspberry sour on for a couple of months, which is in high demand. So that's probably the next one we're going to do on a larger scale. So, um, yeah, there's all, all sorts of things. I'd love to do a lot of wheat beers. I want to do a, a, a blueberry wit, uh, you know, all sorts of things and some more Hefeweizens and things and Dunkelweizens. But, you know, it's just um, it's trying to work in with our core range and trying to just, you know, initially it's a business, so we have to keep keep producing our unfortunately our summer rail and our pilsner keeps getting more weight so we're going to keep producing and keep moving that kegging it and getting it out to the consumer so just got to find some time pretty much moving forward absolutely it's um and you've given us the little intro we were looking there for for our audience questions and we're about to ask our friend jane uh who understands entirely what it's like to uh try and run a beer list at a bowls club uh jane unmute tell us your best and worst experience no don't do that let's not i will do no such thing <laughs> yeah. 
But you had a ripper question for Bernadette, uh, touching yeah. on sours, as Peter just mentioned. Yeah, I was about to ask yeah, whether you've got any sours coming up, because Peter mentioned earlier that you're a sour fan and doing some at home. And then he just said, yeah, that your raspberry is like in popular um, demand. So, but like, any other sours? Um, well, I had a crack at a pineapple sour um, because we had a whole heap of extra pineapples on the Sunshine Coast. Um, they did a big push that it was one of the produce that farmers had a heap left over um, and to start using it. But yet again, it was sort of just on a small scale at home. Um, and the sours, that like literally the first beer that I brewed at home by myself when I got my kit, after sort of starting on the equipment here, then went home. The first beer I ever made was a sour because that was my... Dad said no sours aren't beers and they shouldn't be on a <laughs> that is the first beer that I'm gonna make. Um and look, I've just kept making those on the small scale. So with our current equipment, we can't add any fruit during the stage of fermentation that we'd like to. Um and as a result, we've had to do it on a small scale every batch. So um that's been fiddly, but as Peter said, that uh, that next step, I would love for that to be done on a, a larger scale, more than one keg at a time, would be amazing. Yeah, cool. I, I have a <clears throat> sort of follow-up naive question. Like, can you do wild ferments up there or is it too warm? Would they just go skanky? It's, it's funny you ask that. We, our brewery's that old. We've got an open fermenter sitting upstairs. Um, we've, oh, we've never used it. Yeah. But we're, we're an industrial estate and I don't, yeah, I don't know if it, it would probably work out well because I don't yeah. know what. Yeah, yeah, you, know. you see, yeah, you see the white wall outside and the color change each day. Um, so I'm not too sure how that would go. So it is an interesting question. <laughs> was it was the area always an industrial estate out of interest? So were they using that open fermenter? Back to be honest, in I have no idea. But the brewery was also designed. It's split between two different levels. So I'm not sure if the person who decided that was also the person that decided on having an open fermenter in the middle of an industrial estate, but I'm not sure how much thought went into that or if it was actually ever used. Yeah, um, it's not like a spa that just eventually someone just described as an open fermenter because of, you know, yeasts. Uh, we never thought of that, but that's a great idea. On brew days, it gets pretty bloody hot, so we might just chuck some ice in there and um, use it as a pool. <laughs> but before we dwell on this thought that could become really disturbing really quickly um mark i think you're ready with your audience question yeah thanks dave and was uh thanks guys terrific session um i watched a um oh, a bit of a doco or a promo the other week um in regards to my mate's brewing up in Queensland. and um, Which I think might been... be your mate's, but anyway, Mark, keep <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah. yeah, actually, I think they're um, copying you guys with the Bowls Club, but that was, um, yeah. But anyway, um, that they mentioned that your area is the hotspot in, in Australia, actually, uh, more brewers per capita or something down here and so forth. So just wondering um, how you guys go with, with the other brewers. Is there like a... a a competition or healthy competition or is there a lot of cooperation up there or yeah just how you sort of get along with the other brewers up there and, and how you're handling it all really appreciate that you you noticed that we opened the bolo first thank the you <laughs> we made a <laughs> budget but we did it first <laughs> yeah, that, yeah no look i don't know the the brewers are everyone that i've met here um are really awesome yeah. we haven't met a bad one we we often catch up at different occasions and we all get on um like this this brewery being as old as it is there's still two ex-brewers from here who's still brewing on the coast so there are different breweries now so we always swap stories and you know catch up and, and see how they're going and so on but um yeah i mean I, I, we often go to breweries our friends of ours after work here on, on occasion so yeah we catch up have a few beers and and, and talk shit or talk talk stuff you know <laughs> Um, even this morning, actually, I got an email from one of the breweries down the road and they'd just got it, got it in a pallet of extra, 
extra grain um, and they were sort of divvying it up and they were reaching out to anyone that might want some. Um, and they'd got this awesome deal and they were like, hey, we're getting this in, reaching out to any of the other breweries that might want to chip in and, and go go shares, um, which the same thing usually for, say, the the AIBAs, the beer awards down in Melbourne, um, cost of freight to send down beers, um, much cheaper. Usually the breweries will sort of band together and be like, oi, we're sending down three kegs. Anyone want to share a pallet? Um, so usually it's pretty good. Um, I'd say like some friendly competition here and there, but everyone brings a bit of something different to the table. And um, yeah, I think it's great that there are so many in the sense that it really has shown um, the need for for more breweries and different types of beer to bring on new customers and, and keep everyone happy. Um, but everyone does something a bit different. So Oh, awesome different. answer. Love the mm. reference to the AIBAs. It's a good excuse to mention the fact that the morning after the AIBAs is the Hair of the Dog Breakfast at Beer Deluxe, where I will be uh, talking. Thank you, everyone in the Zoom room has already got their tickets. Where I'm going to be talking with Dollar Bill, Tall Boy and Moose, Deeds and Three Ravens. So if you haven't already got your tickets for the Good Beer Week Hair of the Dog Breakfast, Get along and do that. Mr. Warren, I wasn't going to say anything at that point, but I've jumped in because you don't get a segue like that very often. <laughs> no, it's true. You don't. You weren't going to talk, you weren't going to talk up anything else, but the wonderful guys that uh, the sunshine goes through. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, guys. It's been it's been a wonderful session, and it feels like there's there's a lot of plans afoot and there's a lot of things. That to really look forward to with your brewery. It sounds like you're at an interesting stage of development. So first of all, yeah, thank you very much for your time. And and yeah, it's we we look forward to to seeing where it all goes. Awesome. Thanks for having us on, guys. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, it's, it, it was cool. Like it's good to share some beers with you guys. So um look, they're all traditional beers. We've got some more mm. stuff happening, so just I'm glad you like them. And um, if any of you guys find yourself on the Sunshine Coast, shoot us a message and swing by. Thank you very much. Good night, guys. Thank, Thank you. you.